Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. My name is Vry Kaiser. I'm an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. You can find me on the internet, on Twitter, at Ryder Vry, or the other podcast I co-host, at TrashPod. And with me today are Amelia, Lizzie, and Jax, if you guys want to introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Amelia. I'm the editor-in-chief of Anime Feminist, and you can find me on Twitter at ActuallyAmelia. Hi, my name is Lizzie. You know me on Twitter as that nerdy Boliviane at Lizzie Visitante. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram of the same name. I used to write for Anime Complexion, but it has since shut down. You can find some of my old work republished on SojoPower.com and my newer stuff on Black Girl Nerds and Anime Feminist. Hi everybody, my name is Jacqueline Cottrell, or better known as Jax. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter as at JaxJackAttack. And I am an entertainment media representative and spokesmodel for Noir Cesar. I write comics, I discuss heavy topics that have everything to do with the overlap of black culture and compared to what we do in anime and manga. And we're all about representation, so you should check us out at Noir Cesar. Rad. And this week, we are wrapping up our watch-along of Michiko and Hachin. We watched the last five episodes, 19 to 24, and we're also going to be, as per usual, going over kind of our feelings about the series as the whole. So uh, I just want to check in with you all, especially you, uh, Amelia and Jack, since this is your first viewing of the series. How, how are we feeling? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the sigh—the sigh was perfect because it was just like I had to just go like, "Oh God!" Like it was—it was way more intense than I was expecting it to. This was such a triggering series for me because of certain themes that I wasn't expecting. Everybody had been talking about it for years, and I mean, I felt like okay, as a black woman, I have an obligation to watch this because it was mostly POC people talking about this. So I loved watching it. I love watching through it. I love the discussions that we've been having about it. I love reading in between the lines and really dissecting what the series has done. Um, emotionally, mentally, I'm still a little bit bruised from certain parts, like if I think back to it. But for the most part, I would honestly recommend this anime because I like that it makes me uncomfortable because then it makes me examine a lot of the stuff that made me uncomfortable with this series and things that I absolutely loved about this series. So I enjoyed it. How about you, Amelia? How are you feeling? I'm glad I watched it. And there was a lot I appreciated about it. But I feel similarly towards it as I feel towards Cowboy Bebop, I think. Mm. Um, where it doesn't it doesn't tick the boxes that I want for a show that I'm going to rewatch. And that I'm going to fall in love with. Um, for those things like a, an unambiguously happy ending is pretty mm-hmm. essential. And while Michiko and Hachin has a positive ending, I'm not sure. I'm not sure happy ending is the right way to put it. Um, and it's it's a complicated series, and I've really enjoyed it. But yeah, it's those those last few episodes in particular were quite full on. And actually, the last the last few episodes were probably my favorites because that's where it gets really linear and focused, which I usually much prefer than kind of jumping around more. Um, but it was there was something about it that was just really bittersweet, and I always really struggle with the bittersweet. Um, but I was happy with how it ended. It felt really appropriate, I think. How about you, Lizzie? How, how are you feeling? Is This is your uh, second time through the series, right? Yeah, and uh, I think for me, like, I had a lot of feelings. I remember some of the feelings I had afterwards where um, 
it was a very I felt very bittersweet like we've been through a long ride with with the mm. show and you go through a lot of feelings and um, at the end of the day I guess I hoped like my initial thoughts were like I hoped for the best for Michiko and Hachin considering they were just in a world that wasn't kind to them and upon the second viewing I feel like my feelings about uh, what my like my original feelings haven't changed much if but if anything there's a lot more things I think I did appreciate a lot more this time around like I got to really pay attention to other secondary characters that I didn't get a chance to as much the first time like Atsuko and uh, Satoshi and I feel like I was able to really look at them and uh, mm. really feel a lot of feelings towards them especially for Atsuko so yeah like um it was bittersweet it's definitely not a show like you can it's not like where you can just easily put it in your um your computer or whatever to rewatch because it's a tough watch right Mm -hmm. it's not Mm. something where you know you have a hard day at work and you just want to watch something that makes you feel good you know so it's one of those things you really it's a show you have to pay attention to right just so interesting because like i think yamamoto described it once and she was like i, I want to make this show for working women who like want to come <laughs> home and have a beer yeah and like that was the audience she Whoops. had in mind yeah i can see how michiko and hachima go well with beer like, to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah yes and fried chicken <laughs> um i remember that interview too like i think she went to brazil and just like um, had that inspiration about what the kind of show she wanted to create out of that and you know something that mostly working women can relate to and identify with so and I think she did a good job in capturing a lot of nuanced layers of um, the women in the show you know so Um, yeah actually I I wanted to I guess start with that idea of this is something our commenters have mentioned and something um, that that I did a little bit of googling on Lizzie if I'm wrong please please correct me but this idea that uh that Michiko's last name, Malandro, is kind of connected to this idea of kind of a free-spirited, badass, folk hero sort of character. And it feels like there's an attempt to create that here with her and with that ending and the idea of this is sort of an omnipresent folk hero always journeying a- across uh, not fantasy Brazil. And I, don't, I guess I just want to talk about that ending a little bit. Yeah, I, I can definitely talk about that. I mean... I, I actually know the comment you're you're addressing because I, I did read some of the mm-hmm. comments and um, since I'm not from Brazil I don't know how like um, I can't speak on that much but I definitely think it's an interesting way to look at Michiko's character and the overall feeling I got like watching the finale of uh, the show like how oftentimes I, I might as well just go to my notes because I like I was I thought we were going to talk about this last <laughs> um, the relationship between like um, our women and elders like um, mm-hmm. when I see when, when I, I when I saw Michiko and Hachin have their moment in the end it just reminded me of um, how like when I see Michiko and adult Hachin with her own child I'm just often reminded of our elders and I, I'm using elders here to kind of be a catch-all for our, our women and like trans trans and non-binary elders who are often the ones who are the, who take care of our families and community mm-hmm. and um, and I just I felt like they're off when I see when I saw that moment they're often the pinnacles of uh, 
our strength in order to keep going in a world that's not very kind to uh, marginalized folks like us, right? So, uh, yeah, so it, it's, it was just very, I, I still really love that moment because uh, in the end of the day, like, the show, what the show shows us is that we live in a really, really fucked up world that's like cis-heteronormative patriarchal, but in the end, we have each other's back and it's thanks to like folks like Michiko and hopefully Haching would be to her own child that kind of they give us they give us the tools to navigate how to navigate the world and we hold space for each other even if like no one else will right so and I like the idea of like Michiko having to be that folk hero in a way because that tells me how much she's really she's very loving and how much she's done for like for some for like Hachin who she now sees as family and way more important than whatever her crappy relationship was with Hiroshi we will get to Hiroshi <laughs> later trust me I have a lot of intense yeah. I, we have I have a lot of intense feelings for him so let's get yeah that ending like it did feel very unreal um not in the sense that it wasn't real um but in the sense of as it cuts to black right it, we see this silhouette of her in a distance from what we can tell she's wearing the same clothes as she was wearing before she went into to prison what 10 years earlier or something so she's still in the hot pants and things like that she hasn't aged at all and we don't get to see an image of a more mature Michiko we don't get to see the aftermath and it almost felt a bit romanticized because Michiko like right throughout the series is not a romanticized character she's very flawed yep she's very problematic she's I mean that's why she's such a great character and the fact that at the very end she's she's almost rose tinted in a way like suddenly we've built her up into this this kind of heroic figure and she's you know she does good things for Hachin but she's not a hero and I I was trying to think of kind of I say trying to think of it wasn't even effort I was automatically thinking well how is she going to fit into Hannah's life now like she's got this fully developed life she's completely fine on her own fitting Michiko into it will actually probably be a challenge for her and we don't see any of that and that's fine that's not the story that they're telling here but it makes perfect sense with the idea that she's built up into this more mythical figure almost than the real human that we spent 20 odd episodes getting to know I don't know it, it felt weird to see Michiko and Hana's interaction at the end it felt kind of I don't want to say it felt forced like it's like you guys said, it's kind of bittersweet. But at the same time, it's just like, you know she'll be okay on her own. So, I mean, I really don't know. Like, I like the analogy to the Cowboy Bebop ending where it's kind of like, well, what now, I guess? It's like, you can't be happy the series is over, but at the same time, you still feel kind of shafted. So now you're left <laughs> with these feelings. You're just like, okay, well, how do I look at this in a way where I don't quite feel so shafted? Because, I mean, it really did feel like... Yeah, we be up all over again, like the ending. It's like that uncertainty. And I don't like the uncertainty. And like Amelia said, I don't do good with bittersweet either. I like absolute resolution or as close to an absolute resolution as possible. And I feel like this, I feel like this is, this, this just didn't give it. So that's what I, that's where my feelings are at this point. I think, I think like with that, it's just, I see that Hachin felt very empty in her life. I mean, she was fully okay. I mean, she has a job, she's secured. But uh, you notice that there's just a lot of, um, you know, it, it's just, uh, she just didn't feel that complete in the end. I mean, she has a kid and she doesn't really have any very tight grasp. I mean, 
high view of the men in her life either. Like, the father of her child bounced in, like, three months. Like, her dad left, like, her pretty young, from what we can tell. So, uh, you know, like, the only stable thing in her life was uh, Michiko. And, like, I guess I found it kind of, in a way, sweet that she decided to sit down one day and write her a letter to kind of update her about what her life what's going on with her life since then i yeah i agree with that i i really appreciated the relationship they built i mean that is true found family and the fact that they spend this whole series in pursuit of a guy and then they get him and then he's not even worth it and they but they still have each other because of that journey to find him like that was really meaningful and that felt really that felt like a really positive ending. Yeah. But I completely, yeah, I completely feel the way Jax did, I think, where you get <laughs> to the end and you're like, I wanted something a bit more substantial. But again, that's not necessarily mm. the story they were telling. That's just the kind of story I personally like to see. So it did feel, it did feel like it got to the end and then it was dead stop. And the things that you might find rewarding are not going to be there. But I appreciated that we actually got to see that, like, Hannah a little bit older, though. We got to see that she grows up and she is okay. And I'm not sure I agree with you that she's not got anyone or anything. I don't think she shows us a lonely life. I think she shows us a capable, competent life. Yeah. But yeah, no. yes, it would be improved by having Michiko in it because Michiko's the only family she has now. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you said everything I wanted to say about Hiroshi, which is not much to begin with. It's like, in my note, in my. He doesn't deserve that. Like, in, in my notes here, I just literally wrote, he he was trash. Let's move on. <laughs> that's like, that's all I have to say about him. I have nothing smart. To- <laughs> I, I, I love this shit. I love this shit. I love this shit. Uh, I think a thing that I'm discovering watching Yamamoto series with other people is that I, her work tends to be a little bit, alienating if you're not like super jazzed about the structural plays that she's doing like this happened when we uh did the fujiko mine retrospective where d ended up in kind of the position y'all um you and and jacks are in amelia where where she said you know i can i can appreciate what this series is doing but emotionally it leaves me a little bit cold because of x y and z and like i think that is fair there and here but also i i'm just so busy being in love with uh the thing that she does in basically all of her shows where in the late stage game there is always 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 some major revelation moment that causes a twist and makes you rethink a character relationship or a character's role of the story like it in Fuchiko Mine it's the finale um in Yuri um it, in, in Yuri on Ice it's the banquet scene in, in here and here it's you know, it's it's meeting Hiroshi, but at the same time, it's been like the series has been telling you all the t- all along that he was trash objectively if you're paying attention. But also, like Michiko is so hell bent on following this romantic narrative that it doesn't that it doesn't sink in for her. And I think also, I I think a lot of the viewing populace might be tempted to follow along follow along with the the romantic narrative that that's how these things go and expect him to really be okay in the end. And no, no, the details were there all along. He was always trash. I totally <sighs> expected him to turn over a new leaf. I totally expected him to be there for Hannah. I was genuinely surprised <laughs> when like a minute later, she's you like, yeah, what? he was gone. <laughs> she like, oh. doesn't. Yeah. And she wasn't she, she wasn't like, she was not even invested Hachi was not even invested in that whole thing with Hiroshi nice. she is the only like I really love that moment when she's like traveling with Satoshi for a bit where like 
Satoshi, like, uh, we'll get to him in a bit, but, you know, he's reminiscing about his friendship with Hiroshi and she breaks it to him. Like, no, Hiroshi is, I mean, Hiroshi is not the guy you and Michiko think he is. In fact, he never gave a Mm -hmm. shit about any of you. And I was like, yeah, I was like, yes, finally, somebody said said this. I mean, you can't say it to Michiko for reasons because I know you care, but some, you, you know, but still, I love that Hachin is the one that said it, you know, to she gets it, yeah. yeah. Especially to Satoshi too, because like she, he also holds Hiroshi up to like a pin, a pinnacle, like the way Michiko does. But we'll get to Satoshi eventually. So, um, I was gonna say it's just very interesting that you brought up Michiko's just refusal to shift from this perspective of her romantic perspective in pursuing him, because I think you just touched upon what bothers me most about her, and that is, or at least with 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 this fool that she's so enamored with, is that. It can be very hard, and I mean, just speaking from experience, to let a trash man go. You know he's trash. You know he belonged to the dumpster like two, three, four, 12 years ago, but it's just like you can't quite force yourself to shift that. And I don't know if that's because Michiko just has this almost savior adoration of him where she can't quite let him go. Meanwhile, then you've got Hana, who's just like, no, my dad's trash. And I'm aware of this fact that he is trash. And I'm trying to tell you that he is trash. And to be perfectly honest with you, the reason that 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 type of relationship and why I can respect Hana so much for that is because I have a stepmom and I have a dad whose relationship isn't always, you know, the best. And so it's just like, listen, stepmom, Sheila, I guess, Michiko, I really appreciate everything you're doing. But do yourself a favor and just stop because he's trash. And it's just like, it's just, it's interesting because Hana's always the one who calls it out. And you're right. It plays up. He's trash. He's trash. He's trash. This episode, he's still trash. This episode, still trash. This Maybe not so much trash, but still overall trash. Like, bye. Like, and then it gets to the end and it's just like, you really are shocked. Like, you want to have hope for him that he'll be better in something. There'll be something that will trigger this. That one little hope. And then it's just like, well, shit. And it's just like, you can't be mad because, like you said, the signs were there from the get-go. So it's like, it's it's so, it's such a hard pill to swallow. But at the same time, it's just like, well, the signs were kind of there. It's just, we just didn't want to kind of pay any heed to them. And just, we kind of hope things would get better, and they didn't. And I think that's pretty much how Michiko's relationship with this idiot played out the entire series. She had that hope. And despite the obvious signs, even the ones from the direct, from the direct descendant of this trash she was just like nope i'm just gonna hope for the best so it's that one little hope that i can't hate michiko for because i know that feeling and you know what to play to bounce off of that is i really like how thoughtful hachin is because she said it herself that in a way michiko and satoshi are a lot alike because the reason they both appreciate i guess horoshi in their life is because he was the only one that was kind of that was kind to them and to some extent, even listened to them in, in environments where nothing was essentially kind to them. And the fact that they both hold on to that so tightly, it's, um, it's, it's so sad. But, you know, Hachin had to be the one to break it. If not to Michiko directly, it, it was vicariously through Satoshi. But, you know, even then he didn't really believe her. But, you know, because it just it impresses me how much Hachin really go I mean she knows her dad's crap but she goes so out of her way too to try to keep her hoping too like when in the earlier episodes when she broke into Feliciano's like apartment the actor and like you know kind of like try to force him to tell 
to feed Michiko this lie about the Hiroshi does think about her and says all these nice things about her, right? So, like, that was a moment I genuinely, I felt, I had a lot of feelings about it, but to some extent, I thought it was sweet that, you know, she saw Michiko's reaction when uh, some total stranger like, you know, pretty much gave her the reality check, but he's not the person I wanted Michiko to hear that from, right? And Hachin really went out of her way to keep her keep her hoping, and I thought, wow, I mean, she needed to hear it, but I it wasn't from this random stranger. And, like, she needed to hear it from Atsuko, which we'll get to that later, and I'm glad that comes back later, but I just thought it was so incredibly sweet to some extent that Hachin did that for, for Michiko. Because she didn't have to. I mean, I can't believe she outbeat chasing after a car, but she did it. I I kind of love that scene because like there's a you know there's this recurrent theme throughout the series of of the disjunction between fantasy narratives and the real life, which is in some ways tied to this idea of men will fucking let you down and relationships with women will sustain you. And but so just this idea that after all these, like, this is the guy who is on the soap opera that has been shoving down this narrative of, stand by your man and he'll come back to you, and it's all very tragic and romantic. But then, you know, Hotchin is able to repurpose this guy in a way that she knows will be this sustaining fantasy, because sometimes we need fantasies. They sustain us in a terrible world. But when Hotchin does it, and it's this motivation of one woman to another, like, that 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 becomes this, like, thing that keeps her going until she can face up to that truth. And I have a lot of feelings about the back half of this show. Yeah, like, I'm so glad you touched on that, because one of the things I really... I really like that in that episode, they used, they used uh, the, car- the, the theme of car- carnavales. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I can't I can't pronounce it in English. I mean I could, but <clears throat> my the image that comes to mind for carnivals in English is different than when I say carnavales in, in Spanish. Mm-hmm. But I like that the backdrop was there for that because the history of carnavales is really depending where you go in Latin America and the Caribbean, it's it's different and depending like uh, where you look into. But some carnavales date back to the Inca Empire and some of these festivities like were a tribute to like Andinian spirits, particularly Pachamama. And um, mm-hmm. there's the whole festivity behind it that I always found super fascinating. In the context of Brazil, I know that the origins for the carnavals in Brazil is different on some accounts, but one of the things I do like that it highlights, like it's a mixture of indigenous, Afro-Indigenous, Black and Portuguese Catholic traditions. Mm-hmm. And um, and in, in, those, in those ways, carnavales were... In some were used as a form to talk back, especially for Black folks against like the rich white Portuguese um, class, right? And mm. the reason I bring this up is because I like the whole point of Carnavales is a celebration of dreams and different cultures and spirituality, right? And like Varai mm. said, that we talk a lot about like dreaming and especially dreaming for a better and safer world in our current reality. So. I really like that this was in the whole backdrop on that episode that we're talking about because um, it, it just uh, because there's a whole narrative about the anticipation for Carnavales, which really correlates to um, our own ex- excitement and optimism for the future. And um, and I and I think that's the, the theme we've, we've talked about a lot, like we have to have some kind of dream or fantasy 
to give us like hope for our own personal futures and and I and I just love it like there's this anticipation there for it like like all the time you know so I mean I have issues with carnavales in general on another like on another thing entirely in terms of a lot of it can be anti-black as hell appropriative of indigenous uh like a like clothing depending on where you're looking into in Latin America in my in my neck of the woods like there's a lot of blackface and oh god it's, it's a mess it's it's a oh god it's like carnavales can be a hot mess when you really look into it but um but i just i like that this was there to really highlight michiko's feelings of joy and hope in the end while everyone was celebrating like carnavales around her after especially after um hachin did the thing with um feliciano in order to give her that hope and something to look forward to i think i got off topic but yeah so no 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 this is all good and interesting context i didn't want to interrupt you. yes <laughs> yeah oh uh, no it's like yeah on, on, honestly if you you if you even look into carnavales like like there is there's music dedicated to the anticipation for when the arrival of carnivals will happen right and it's so it's like it's such a thing like folks really look forward to that to to want to be part of festivities where it's like dreamlike especially when maybe you don't have a lot of things going for you in your life and you want this festivities to be around so they can give you hope for a, like hope for tomorrow or something so yeah and it kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum we have satoshi who is this character kind of characterized by intense pragmatism but also at the same time he's he's just like michiko but along a different life path they're very strong foils of one another oh satoshi god where do we begin where do i begin with him i have feelings uh motherfucker was also in love with hiroshi but toxic masculinity is my reading at the end of the day i honestly since we're talking about him i my feelings of how i originally felt about him hasn't changed much in the sense that i his death never sat well with me like the way he died Mm. never really ever sat well with me but this time around i really liked seeing in these last couple of episodes we got to see a more vulnerable side to him than than mm-hmm. we did in the earlier parts of the episodes and like i don't know i appreciated that that aspect of him in the end and because we didn't get we saw so much of his toxic masculinity throughout the show that it was just nice to have those quiet moments that he had with uh, Hachin. And it's it, the contrast of his arc in the back half really kind of fascinates me as far as like uh, he uh, the parallels they draw between uh, his Satoshi's relationship with uh, with Shinsuke and uh, Michiko and Atsuko because like, you know, one ends in mutual respect and Michiko eventually turns herself in and does things right because she respects Asuko and her position and, and all the things she's gone through. And the other one ends in in violence and murder and, like, that, that line of w- what happened. And I just, you're all assholes, but now I'm having feelings. How dare you? Um, one thing that I really appreciated about Michiko and Hachin as a series is that it doesn't shy away from people feeling genuinely dangerous. Mm. And I think Satoshi is one of the most dangerous feeling character satoshi and shinsuke like between them Mm -hmm. they're they're really like there's a genuine threat to them 
they would quite happily kill Michiko. They would quite happily kill Hana. They it wouldn't bother either of them. Um, so in that sense, I, I appreciated Satoshi's presence. It was good for for Hana to be around somebody who would actually be a threat to her. I say good for her. Obviously, it's terrible for her. But as, as a viewer, <laughs> as a viewer, it's nice that Hachin doesn't get to just be like the the spunky child who just gets away with anything. Like she's genuinely in positions of danger. And the fact that you have characters like Satoshi really makes that feel grounded in a way that some series don't manage where the child feels like invincible. And that's not the case, I think, in Michiko and Hachin. Mm. However, he is, he, you've got this whole story, this childhood story of Michiko and Atsuko and Hiroshi and Satoshi. And Satoshi is like the really weak link there, I think, because I feel like we get a sense of the fuller story of the other three and like yeah Hiroshi's story is that he's actually trash and people think higher more highly of him than he deserves that's fine that's that's legitimate we don't really get anything of that nature from Satoshi right to the end he feels a bit too deep to me so that was something I would have liked to have seen a bit more depth to him I think okay I was joking but I'm not I, I do think he was in love with Hiroshi but he can't admit it because of the toxic <laughs> masculine system he's he's locked into because like they hammer so hard about like like even fading in Michiko's face over his as he speaks the exact same lines about this guy yeah <laughs> like I don't maybe I'm maybe I'm imposing a reading and that gives me a little bit more sympathy for him despite the fact that he is a genuinely fuck awful person yeah I mean that was <laughs> that moment where she where Hannah hears him talking and is like no this is exactly what Michiko says about him like that moment yeah I just got that made me think oh Hiroshi's really just a con artist he's actually manipulative he uses the same lines with lots of people so I didn't I didn't think about it in the same way you did but that's not to say that that's because it wasn't there it's I mean we know that Yamamoto's texts are often queer as hell and I absolutely (laughs) don't want to say that that's not an an issue here but that's just not what came to me when I was watching it it was more like I think it can be manipulative He can be a manipulative queer guy. Wow, that's <laughs> all these no, options. No, 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 no. I mean, up. like Gosh. specifically, like I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think they ever got together. I think Hiroshi rolled with whatever the fuck was happening at any given time because he had lines. Yeah, like oh god, Hiroshi did not give a shit. He's literally that fucking Casanova. He just goes with the flow. But I kind of wish if that had been Satoshi's story, like if that's it, like I wish they'd leaned into that because that would have made him so much more interesting to me. It just felt to the end that he was kind of cardboard cutout villain. And yeah, genuine, genuinely threatening villain. And that was good. But that was it. And for somebody who'd been a childhood friend to the main characters in this whole thing, that felt like it was a bit lacking. So, you know, if he was actually in love with Hiroshi I wish we'd kind of seen more of that actually I I would have loved to see more of his relationship with Atsuko too because clearly they had an ongoing correspondence in the background yeah which is incredible because Atsuko's the senior (laughs) police officer and you know we talked about how unfair unfairly she was treated but at the same time she's maintaining this correspondence with a guy who's incredibly shady and she's getting tips from him and that's she's not above 
reproach here. I think she she deserves maybe some criticism for maintaining those contacts, especially since they didn't really help her. So, yeah, that's that's something that you're absolutely right. I wish we had seen more of. I can't though because I, I'm too busy wanting to give her a hug. Uh, like, <laughs> like, what, oh my gosh, that's where Anatsuko. Like, I feel like I wish we got a more definitive ending with her. Like, mm-hmm. we're just left with we're just left with questions, and I I still stand by the fact I really want her to have her own spinoff. Like, yes. I I do because like the last time we see her is like. I mean, like, aside from helping Michiko, she's, like, crying her eyes out. And I'm like, no, come and get, like, come into my weak arms. I'll give you a hug. <laughs> you know? that, last, that last episode in general, that bit where Michiko, like, Atsuko sees Michiko and Michiko's like, I want a word with you. And then from then on, it kind of spirals out into whatever Michiko wants it to be. And I kept waiting for it to be a dream sequence because I was like, you can't talk your way out of this. Not at this point in the series. <laughs> And it was all true. And it just felt so bizarre and out of nowhere to me. It felt really disjointed from the rest of the series. Like, oh God. Like, I, this is where I, I mentioned earlier that I wanted Michiko to get a reality check from someone that actually matters. And I like, yes, I like, I like it was from Atsuko. Atsuko told her straight up, you're just afraid to admit the truth that Hiroshi really did leave your ass and he left Hachin behind. Like, and honestly, there is no sense in you chasing after a man that is not worth it. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I wanted to hear, get her, for her to get this reality check from you. Because you give a shit about Michiko. Because yeah, Atsuko gives a shit about Michiko. And she honestly, she projects all my frustrations with Michiko really well. Like, I just watching her, like this really cool ass woman, like fucking chase after a man that's not worth it. And she's like, Why? Like, I'm even helping you get out of this fucking situation. And I was like, oh, I'm mad. I want I, I a want better <laughs> ending for Atsuko. She didn't deserve that ending. Oh, right. Because I was, I just wanted to play off what Lizzie had said, because Atsuko is that kind of outside perspective of, why are you bothering with this fool? Like, really, why are you bothering? And you think she'd take the advice from somebody, despite their tumultuous relationship, somebody that she had grown up with. So I can see how Atsuko is a perfect reflection of everybody's frustrations with Michiko. So that was it. Yeah, I, I always feel so bad about the train derailing episode because it's so important and it uh, it's like the most Man Globe episode because uh, Man Globe is sadly closed now. Um, they They went bankrupt and makes me sad because they they used to uh, green light a lot of really weird interesting projects like like this and, and house of five leaves and samurai flamenco and gangsta and just a bunch of really unique stuff but they always had budget issues and oh my god some of the animation in that episode it's not perhaps worthy of the incredibly dramatic revelations going on there oh gosh and it doesn't help like like the music that plays in the background when Atsuko is crying her eyes out. I, I mean, I Sp- Portuguese and Spanish are ki- like, they're different languages, but they're kind of similar. But the song was so sad. I was able to understand it. It was essentially about the song singing about solitude. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> stop. It's like, st- <laughs> I was like, stop. I know she's lonely and sad right now, but you don't need to like scream solitude in the background to make me feel any sadder. It's like stop. It's like no. I'm still mad. I really want a better ending for her, but okay. I mean, I, I as I too would like more closure for Atsuko. I'm not like 
I, I'm okay with it, I guess, because, like, a lot of her frustrations were about, you know, like, you know, figuring out this balance between her, her relationship with Michiko and, like, her professional issues. So, like, the fact that she agrees to help Michiko and then Michiko turns herself in willingly at the end is kind of what she wanted, but also, like, there was so much character there that we could have still gone into. Yeah. Yeah, we, we could have. I was kind of okay with Otsuko's ending. Um, this was this was probably the one I didn't have an issue with. Um, because it felt, as you said, that she... Or what she wanted the entire time, she's pursuing her quarry, which was Michiko. But also, right before she actually gets what she wants, she gets a little bit of separation, she gets a little bit of emotional distance, and that felt to me like the conclusion of that arc, in a way, was where she was able to give herself that that distance, which is much healthier for her. She kind of grieved losing Michiko. She grieved um, the loss of what what their relationship had been or could have been, etc. And then she was able to get back to her job and she ended up in a positive place with Michiko too. And that felt like a really good conclusion for her because we don't see anything else of her life. We just see her her job and her relationship with Michiko. And I felt they were both rounded off pretty well. Unpopular opinion, I think. I just love her so much. Is that I want to spend more time with her. <laughs> I would watch an Atsuko spinoff series in a heartbeat. Yes, please. I need this. Like, the anime gods need to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I mean, again, Manglobe is closed now. And it's been, it's been, ten, it's been literally 10 years since this series came out. I don't understand how a company such as Manglobe could have gone under when they just have produced anime unlike anything I have ever seen. I hate it. It's like reading a one-shot fanfiction oh. like you never see the ending to, even though you know there's so oh. much perspective for it. Bring Manglobe back! Oh my god, I'm in mourning. It, it's, like, it's like CMX, the US uh, manga distributor that wound up closing their doors because they brought over really fucking great classic yes. shoujo, but only like six of us were buying them, so they couldn't keep it up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a problem. Oh gosh. That's so, that's so sad. I mean, what else is there to talk about? I guess... Uh, you mentioned on the notes that you wanted to talk about the p- police brutality uh, element. Which is... Whew. I think I wrote that, actually. Um, but I'm sure that both Lizzie and Jax will have things to say on this. Um, my point was just in the episode where we... Like, Michiko's on the run and the police are chasing her and the police shoot someone thinking it's Michiko and it's just some it's just a junior police officer and he's scared out of his mind he sees someone running towards him he shoots without thinking it's not Michiko it's an innocent civilian and his boss is like don't worry about it we'll say it was her not a problem and then later on there's uh, the scene where he basically goes to execute Michiko and Hachin in front of all these police officers and is like, it's such a shame that you were trying to run away and we had to stop you by force. That hits really hard in a a Black Lives Matter world. That hits so hard now in a way that I'm not sure it would have 10 years ago because obviously corrupt police officers have been a thing forever. But at the moment, there is such a focus on it in like international mainstream media that I... I assume there wasn't at the time and that those moments hit really hard I thought but 
I mean, I'm not I'm not a black American, so I would love to know if you guys felt the same when you were watching it. Oh, I guess this is where I'll come in. Okay. Um <clears throat> Um, honestly, I I was just honestly, to be perfectly frank with you, um, like you said, a lot of the police brutality in this show was one of the biggest hurdles for me, particularly because as a black American, I'm just so used to it. Now, seeing against a woman of color is just just extremely difficult. I mean, I can't like stress that because every day I wake up, there's some kind of police brutality in my face. And I mean that just like in my face. And it's just like, well, great. But the okay, you know what? I'm just going to read off a couple of notes because that's what I was looking for. I had sent some notes over when I thought I wouldn't be able to make the last show or the make the ending show. So I just want to read from these notes because I feel like they convey my feelings a lot better towards how I feel with the police brutality and the corruption of the police in this show. And that is regarding the Black Lives Matter portion. I wanted to say that the connection between this show and the violence against black women by police was a very easy and triggering one for me to make. I cannot express I cannot stress the extreme level of distrust I have for police officers, even to help me with my life, even to help me with my life be at risk. Inviting police into my space means I just may be the one who shot instead of the assailant. And if I even if I do get even if I do get just a smidgen angry, I'm likely to be killed for being a threat because it's all my fault, even when I'm in the wrong, but the cops or even when I'm in the right, but the cops would rather silence black women than continue to let them speak the truth about what actually happened in that scenario. And with and this is where I'm gonna like hold off right now, only because just seeing that junior idiot cop and no, just seeing the cop basically saying, well, we can blame her for it. Like that pissed me off to no end. Like I was genuinely, I got hot and angry. Like I really did because it's just like, I'm not surprised it happens. I'm aware that it happens. This is in my face every single day. But just to see it in just such a frank and blatant way, when I already knew that these cops aren't shit, point blank, like it was just like, wow, are you kidding? And it really just blew me away because I don't know, maybe it's just my genuine distrust of cops, but I'm going to go back to my notes because it's the exact same thinking Michiko has to endure with a punk ass cop. And it was very hard to sit there and know that if Michiko had been gunned down, society would have been first turning the blame on her while supporting the cop. Like Michiko has no out here. That's what I started to originally think. She had no out with the cops. I was honestly expecting her to die by gunfire. That was one of my predictions for the end of this show. Because I was just, that's my reality of it. You have a wily brown woman who is constantly on the run from the cops. And like, you see this in every single day. I'm like, I'm not expect. I didn't expect her to make it to the end, to be honest with you. To be perfectly honest with you. Like I said, it, it, I have a lot of feelings on this, but I will say that when it comes to the current times, that it was, that it was the interaction through the series that was, that it was the interaction with the police that continued to kind of stay under my lens while watching this show. So I would definitely say any interaction with the cops, especially towards the end of the series, was just really emotionally and mentally overwhelming. And it was just, there were a couple times I actually had to walk away because I'm just like, I can't deal with this right now. I really cannot deal with this right now. Like, and I thought, and you would think, oh my God, it's fiction. Why are you so like, I'll, I'll go ahead and just use this word because I hate when people use it jokingly. It's like, why are you so triggered? It's just a cartoon. Like, no, this is my fucking reality. Like, this is this is something that's bothering me. I just saw something similar to a black woman dying on Facebook like 10 minutes before I got into this episode. It's like it's inescapable. So it's like after those particular episodes of confrontations, I have to take a step back. If I don't, like, I'm going to continue to kind of just like compartmentalize how I feel about this and let it reflect my overall view on the show when really the show did a fantastic job of displaying the police corruption 
particularly in Brazil. Like I'm literally watching something on Netflix that has to do with that. And I mean, like, I just found this by complete coincidence. Like it didn't even dawn on me that it, hey, maybe I could tie this to the watch along. But just seeing that and really seeing that from the perspective of, and they were interviewing the the actual cops in Brazil and stuff like that and talking about the police corruption and yada, 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 and how the bodies are always constantly piling up. So while at the same time paying attention to Michiko and Hachin and how the police interact in this lawless world where they are supposed to be the law, but they're just as wor- they're just as bad, if not often worse, than the people actually breaking the law. So it's like, where do you stand like in line for this? You want to cheer for Michiko? Like, I, I, I wanted to cheer for Michiko because, oh my God, get away, girl. Like, the police ain't shit. Like, whatever you did, fine, whatever. Like, the police have done like 10 times worse. But at the same time, it's just like, there is no law in this world. And it just makes me, rem- it just reminds me that point blank, the justice system in like 24 quotation marks justice system is extremely flawed and it continues to fail black and brown women point blank uh, i can i can agree on all fronts of what you're saying because um oh god i have a lot to say about the police violence because um because I, I i grew up in new york city so see being in neighborhoods that are predominantly mar- growing up in the neighborhood that was predominantly marginalized I'm, I'm, it's, it, yeah, uh, oh, sorry, um, I'm just, uh, I'm just, uh, ex- I'm used in a, in a, it's uncomfortable to say this, but I'm so used to being over-policed, because the police are s- everywhere in, in neighborhoods of, co- of color in, in New York City, and, like, every day growing up, I used to hear stories about, um, young folks, particularly, like, young black and Afro-Latino folks get shot by the cops, right, and, uh, and there is there's there's no trust with them like i've like you know i i always feel genuinely uncomfortable being around the cops and now more than ever when i know like mm-hmm. hearing from my mom cuz i live in toronto now um how like militarized uh, new york city has become in a lot of areas that it's just like uh, i've i've heard from friends like they use a lot of really creative ways and how to keep each other safe especially now under this asshole's america i'm not saying his name because i like i want to be i want to feel good today <laughs> um um you know like you know like a, a, how he also uses um ice in order to break into undocumented homes and take undocumented and break apart families and send them back to like central america or, or mexico and whatnot so like for me personally i've never felt safe with with any of that and having visited family in bolivia like it's uh there is um even there there's a very high level of mistrust with the police they're not even around they're not even around they only show up whenever protests are happening and when that happens they're dressed up in military gear ready to throw um gas or like they have the shields ready and i'm just like what the hell are you guys using that shit for like people are just genuinely protesting for like basic human rights you know like you know like you know it's like you see freaking tanks like oh gosh my mother grew up in la paz during under dictatorship she she would tell me stories about going home and she'd see like military tanks outside of her home right and planes like fly in like this is why i I have issues with like air shows and stuff because they make noise and and i often that whenever she hears that noise it's often like she knows that a coup is going to happen right so you know like there's high level like there's so much high level of mistrust with the 
and genuinely so like both in america and down in you know down in latin america and the caribbean like the corruption that exists in the police system and with you know we might as well call like in their close relationship with the military is high like nobody feels safe i mean even now in the context of brazil post Marielle Franco, like I know Rio de Janeiro, like I think a couple of months ago, the president of Brazil passed a law like saying that like essentially the city will be militarized and what areas are going to be militarized? The favelas, right? Like there's been stories of like like them breaking into a lot of homes and oh, doing such awful things there. And and it's like when I see this uh, that moment with Michiko and, what ha- and the police force, I wasn't it was so like disgusting to see how like I know this is a thing but it bothers me how normalized it is you know like how like there there's like the this they they because they know they have power they could spin the narrative and the media in a way that will make them look like they had no other choice but to use brute force in order to silence a whole group of communities right so you know and it's it just it frustrates me when i see this because um i think of so many things when it comes to the police and and the you know they might as well be called the military at this point you know because like they're often the ones that brutalize the communities and the folks um a lot of folks are getting deported back to central america in particular there's a lot of unrest there right and you know like um and oftentimes it's the it's the police slash military are the ones that are are the ones that cause the most violence in communities and it's it's such a mess so that's why i don't particularly have any faith or i don't like being like near that like don't like being in spaces when polices are mentioned because they often don't do shit for us i mean you know like in the context of Toronto, like, shit, like, um, when, like, there was a high level of men of color that were killed in Toronto, like, we found, you know, communities, our communities rallied, you know, saying, like, you guys gotta do something. It wasn't until they finally moved their asses after many more men of color were disappearing that they found that it was a serial killer on the, like, um, doing... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, and it's, like, we don't and currently in Toronto. We don't. None of us. N- no, I mean it's not a huge surprise, but like none of us have a good relationship with the police, and that's justifiably so. I mean, you guys, you know, like oftentimes we're the ones that had to take care of ourselves when these uh, queer men were missing. Um, we used our own resources to keep each other safe. Like you know, like we could. Like there was a map I saw shared on Facebook about how where you should go to keep each other safe if you and like don't go to certain like um we've heard this is the area where disappearances are happening if you're there call a friend do an e-transfer to send money for transportation so you can be in a safer place so yeah i mean i'm going on the like i feel like i'm going on a tangent but there's so much intricacies on that's done by that's sanctioned by police state violence Mm -hmm. that it's um it's you know like i i personally don't feel safe with the i personally don't feel because of all the stuff and what i see done in the community in my communities i don't feel safe with them i can never you know it's funny because police say they always want they want they're the protectors of the communities but they're often the ones doing the most killings 
and the ones that don't give a shit the most. Mm-hmm. No, I completely and fully agree with you. Just listening to this gave me chills because everything you but said was perfect. I don't know how to transition back from that very serious <laughs> subject. Quick segue. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Like we like that was. <laughs> no, it's good and important, and and this is the kind of stuff that I am very very glad that we're able to discuss on this podcast. I kind of do hope that Yamamoto does a more... Like, I know she's very happy and fulfilled with, with doing Yuri on Ice. <laughs> yeah, because it's so intricate because, oh god, like, I'm also coming from a place where I, I have friends... Like... Yeah, because I also... I, I have a lot of friends who are children of refugees, right? And I've heard stories about how... You know the dictator like when you know when chile when pinochet like with the support of the united states like you know like uh t brought down salvador allende you know and like and how that was like living under dictatorship and i have friends from el salvador and you know and the civil war that happened there that was also funded by the U the united states too right now happening with honduras so oh god and uh so it's um it's tough, like, cause, like, there's never been a, a happy, there's never been a relationship with the police and the military ever in the con, like, in the context of Latin America and the Caribbean. Anyone who tells you otherwise are probably folks who benefited from the blood and deaths of others. So, I think of anime directors, uh, Yamamoto is somebody that I'd like to see do some something serious again at some point because, like, police corruption comes up here and in Fujiko Mine and. Like, there's not really space for it in Yuri on Ice because they created this very <laughs> positive universe where homophobia is not a thing, oh, I yes, guess, yes. which, you know, is nice sometimes. It's very but, convenient, oh, isn't I, it? We, honestly, we need narratives like that, you know, especially, yeah. like, you want to envision, like, when, because we talk about this show about dreaming, and I like that Yuri on Ice exists because we can, that show makes me feel like this this world doesn't have to be a dream, you know? like living a world free of homophobia transphobia and everything like we can have this space where like all our love all our who we love and our identities and whatnot can be accepted and embraced by everyone like we need we need narratives like that because you know because everything we've talked about in michiko up to this point has been very true to life and we need an escape from that mm -hmm. and something that gives us hope and optimism right and in the end, I, I do think this is kind of an optimistic series, because at the end, the, there is this very strong bond that has been forged all this time and is finally being recognized as way more important than the heterosexual romantic bond. And it fills me with feelings, and I, I maybe cried twice during the last episode. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Optimistic is the right word. I I know what you mean. It it does feel like a positive, heartwarming ending, but optimistic sort of suggests hope for the future, and I think that's the bit that's kind of lacking here. We oh. see, we see Hannah kind of repeat repeat the mistakes of of her elders. She falls for a guy who's no good, and she ends up in a position where she's got a bit less freedom as a result of it. Well, and yeah, but. Like, I think Yamamoto is all about incremental change. Because, like, she, yeah, she falls for a dude who's an asshole and dumps her three months <laughs> in, but she doesn't go chasing after him. She realizes, yeah, fuck that guy. And she raises the kid on her own and has this it's... this job and this steady life. 
Yeah. It's a very low bar. I yeah. mean, she's also not being abused by the end of the series, but I'm not sure I'd consider that optimistic just because that changes there. Yeah. I, I, I do know what you mean, and I don't want to diminish that because it is actually... I'm, I'm with Jax. I totally thought Michiko was dead. I was, I was so sure she wasn't coming back, especially when she's doing this whole thing where she's saying to Hannah, like, this isn't goodbye. Right. I'm going to you see you again. You never say that. Like, not in a doomed. series like this. <laughs> she's too... So it is actually... Uh, <laughs> You know what's funny? It to- I can't- it totally felt set up for that, didn't it? But it, that's not how it goes. And I kind of question how yeah. she got out of prison. I mean, I imagine all the charges laid against her should have put her away for life. I'm like, I kind of question <laughs> the end. Like, wait, how did you get... You know what? I don't give a shit. <laughs> it's like, I, I, yeah. like, my headcanon was that Atsuko probably, like, Helped. negotiated yeah. for her for, like, you know, turning herself in and good behavior. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like that. And I wish I would have seen that though. <laughs> it's like, ha- yeah, they would have they would have had to get her cleared of the murder charge. That's the only thing. Mm-hmm. That's true. But, then again, but like, that just means that they managed it because there's no way she would have got out of jail after ten years mm-hmm. if she'd actually killed someone while being chased by the police, right? And she wouldn't she have been charged more too as after multiple <laughs> attempts of escape? But I don't care. She's out of jail. <laughs> they have their she's out of jail. It's happy. It's fine. They have a happy it's ending. <laughs> We're all very happy to see her. I know. It's like I just. I guess that moment, even though I know folks want more from it, and that's and t- it's totally valid. Cause, but I like in the end that Michiko and Hachin will hold; they're there for each other. And they'll hold space for each other in in this world that's yeah. not very kind to them. So that feels complete. And even though I said that, you know, afterwards I was thinking, well, how's it going to be when Michiko's actually like there in Hannah's home, and there's not enough space? And even as I was thinking that, I was like, that won't be a deal breaker for them. Yeah. They're going to figure it out because they have this bond now, and that is more important than anything else. And she's going to be like a grandma to to Hannah's baby. Uh, <laughs> the thought of Michiko as a grandma is just too weird. I, but I need that though. It feels like a lifelong bond between them and it feels like that's not going to break that's not going to end they are committed to each other yeah. and that was yes. a beautiful note to end the series on especially when I expected death so. <laughs> yeah like <laughs> I had no idea how this was originally going to end when I first watched it and to get this ending was like okay I like this it doesn't it, <laughs> <laughs> this is okay this is, this is okay like I'm not totally shattered that's good yeah. yeah, I did expect more of a Cowboy Bebop ending, which is more final and it is more tragic. And that's that's where I thought this was going. And I am pleased that it didn't do that. So I, you know, I have my I have my uh, preferences for the type of ending that I would have liked to have seen. But I I think this is perfectly satisfactory and I think it's completely in keeping with the rest of the series. I'm so curious to see what Yamamoto will do after she's officially. I'm I'm, ne- I'm always going to be happy to get your, more Yuri on Ice, but I I want to see what new projects she might have in mind in the future. <laughs> this might be it. Now she seems to like hanging out in. It's in a Yuri's beautiful world, place so to be. You. It's such a nice world. It, it's a nice place yeah. with nice people. <laughs> exactly. It's a beautiful world. I, I I guess to kind of bring this in for a landing um how do you guys think you will i mean i don't think anybody has come to the end of this watch along (laughs) not having seen the series like if you did what are you doing uh but i would ask (laughs) like i guess i'm curious how you guys would talk about this series to people like what you'd what you'd discuss what you would uh you know how you would pitch it or couch it or you know where you where you think it fits as far as like talking about it to uh interested feminist anime fans kind of thing oh 
I think I would draw the comparison to Cowboy Bebop. That's felt consistent to me from the very beginning, where it ha- it has this kind of almost episodic nature while following a more linear story. It has these characters who each have a very kind of rich individual life while also coexisting. And the ending completely felt in keeping with Bebop's ending. And that, I think if people liked Cowboy Bebop and they said that, then I'd suggest Michiko and Hachin as a, a recommendation to them. And I would mention the fact that it has these these female leads, a diverse female cast. And I would absolutely just mention the fact that it is a brown cast. And that's still so rare. And that's something that I never stopped appreciating watching it right through just seeing characters who look a little bit like me like that's rare and pleasant and I thoroughly enjoyed it right the way through funny enough I was actually having a conversation about my niece the other day about this because you know because uh like how would I pitch it to her type of thing because she knows about the podcast and I was like hmm this is tough because I know the kind of stuff she likes but I definitely would say this show is very character based I mean it has action it does have action it does have all these uh cool hijinks that you would expect but it's very like I find I found that the show is very personal in a lot of ways like this character the the show is about Michiko and Hachin and you get to know them as characters and grow closer together and in the end like you really feel like you really like them I mean they're complicated characters but you really come to like them in the end and I highly recommend it and plus this is one of the very rare shows where you get to see black black brown and brown characters especially women characters at the forefront and and I think it does really well on that front you know so and um and there's definitely a lot of like things to talk about in terms of like queerness in in the show as well that I think a lot of folks would value um, well, I would, I would pitch the show, honestly, okay, I would pitch the show as honest, let me think about this, because I was really trying to, okay, if I could pitch the show to somebody who is, say, a fan of, uh, actually, you know what, I'd pitch this show as kind of a foil to what's going on in our world right now, so if you can't quite handle what's going on in the real world right now, maybe a fictional version of this will maybe kind of help you kind of cope with what's going on. I would pitch this story, though, um, to probably definitely my older girlfriends or older just people in general. I wouldn't I would not give I wouldn't let any of my nieces or nephews under the age of 12 watch this show, maybe 16. I feel like that's pushing it. Um, And I would definitely say. All women of color need to watch this show at least once. For however it may make you feel, I just feel like this is one of those shows where, yes, you don't get the experience of seeing brown and black women and women of color just interacting in this way and a woman is a power force while also seeing that there's kind of some kind of i don't how do i phrase this whether where mm, i'm so bad at so i'm so bad at summarizing um i would definitely just recommend this to let me just tldr i would recommend this to i'd recommend this series to anybody who wants to see something very different something very unique something that's something that you can connect to the here and now Something that has just about everything, for better or for worse, and something that makes you think. If you want to think, then this is definitely a show for you. And if you want to feel, this is a show for you. But it's like, you got to kind of open yourself up to those feelings and then kind of examine why you, why this show will give you the feels. But I would recommend this show 
Probably not as big as I would some of my other favorites, but if somebody were asking me about it, I'd give them an honest response about it as far as saying, yeah, it's interesting to watch. Here are these points about this show. Um, this is the character development so far. If this is your kind of thing, then go for it. Just really don't go into it expecting a fallout happy ending because that is not where this show goes. And uh, quite a few content warnings as well, I think. Yeah. The, this show can be rough. Yeah, trigger, that's definitely, yeah, definitely go into the show with a lot of trigger warnings because we talked, I mean, if this podcast is an indicator of everything we talked about. And yeah. And also, I guess in the end, um, I want to give, sh- like, since, uh, since there were Afro Latina voices missing in the discussion, uh, I want to give like like shout out to creators for folks to follow on Twitter and Instagram if we're if we have time for that in the end. Uh yeah, go ahead. Oh okay, so you can follow for um for folks who are interested in following um Afro Latina creators. Um, you can check out Janelle Martinez at Janelle. I'm right. She's the creator of Ain't I Latina. You can check that out at at Ain't I Latina. There's Kayla Marie at Maria underscore Giselia. She is a wonderful social communication curator who has done amazing work and she's looking for a job. Hire her. There's Yunga Abuela at Ariana the Poet and Grealian at Migrant Scribbles. And this one is in particular for Brazilian artists. There's Carol Conca at Carol Conca. And uh, like I, I tried looking for Brazilian like creators in terms of a uh, manga animation but i found that i couldn't find much but the two i did found that you should check out is jarin arias at jarin arias like she's a writer of a book for uh afro-brazilian heroines and then there's marcelo di salente at marcelo di salente he's he wrote a comic about uh the story of angola janga the history of palmares so you should check that out and other places to follow is Afro Latino Fest New York City at Afro at sorry at Festival Afro Lats. And there's also a really great roundtable discussion done by Afro Latinas on Essence, which you can check out as well. And if our fo- and our uh, folks listening to the podcast know any Afro uh, Brazilian indie creators who do animation, write comics or manga, please link it because let's show support. Let's show let's support their work. And I just want to say as well, I know we have some Brazilian readers. We have South American readers in general, but there have been specifically a few people commenting saying, hey, I'm from Brazil. I'm really pleased we're watching this show. So we would particularly love to hear from you. And if you've got strong feelings about what we've said here, let us know. We'd love to showcase your thoughts to go to go alongside us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like we we really did want to have um, ideally um, Afro-Litine um, participants in this podcast we really wanted to have more voices um and potentially it's something we could come back to in a future with new guests saying hey what did you think of this series so please get in touch tell us what you thought we'd love to know um but i i do want to really say again thank you to you uh lizzie and and jacqueline i've just been just so pleased with this entire watch along and, and a lot of that has been the really great insight that you two have brought so thank you so much for agreeing. And thank you and thank you and Verai, Amelia and Verai for, you know, creating the space to have Jack Jacqueline and I to come in and talk. I mean, this is so needed in the anime community. So I'm glad that we can have really deep critical. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having stuff us. Stuff that we like.
So thank you. It's a pleasure to listen to them. So we're mm-hmm. really grateful for you making the time. And again, this is no, this is no small commitment. I mean, we m- meet kind of four consecutive weekends essentially. And that's, it's quite a lot of time for you to take out of your schedules. And we're very conscious of that. And we really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much. And, um, Thank you so much, listeners, for following along on on this uh, series. You know, if um, I'd love to have you guys back sometime. Uh, We've had discussions about that. Um, And as always, you know, listeners, we want to know what you thought of this watch along. And as Amelia said, particularly uh, those of you who are Brazilian, South American, we'd especially love to hear your thoughts on the series. Um, And I think that wraps us up. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you liked this episode, you can find more of watch alongs and retrospectives and season mid check-ins and season wrap ups on our SoundCloud. You can find us on patreon.com slash anime feminist. That's the one that pays the bills. We are very close to finally being able to, uh, to break even with our funds, which is, I think we will have done it by the time this podcast comes out. I'm delighted to say, but we do still need to give ourselves a little buffer. So please don't take that as, mm-hmm. as we're dropping all calls for funding. We still would like to have more funding, pay more people, do more work. Yes. We'd love to be able to put out more content and pay yes. our writers more money. And it would be great. Yes. And, you know, we really appreciate if I know a lot of people think $1 a month isn't much, but like, you know, 10 people giving $1 a month is, the really the kind of thing we appreciate and those are the people that that stick around and form the bedrock of what we've been able to do with this site so thank you thank you thank you if you want to find us on social media you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash anime femme you can find us on tumblr at animefeminist.tumblr.com i run that one it's gay and you can find us on twitter at twitter.com slash anime feminist and we'll see you next time anna fam take care (laughs) 